Welcome to the start of a long, hot summer of games that we used to love, games that we still love, and games that we hope you'll love too. It is episode 7 of One More Go. Summer, of course, the time where you play all the video games. It's certainly what I did, like once I was out of school. It's just right. like, shut yourself out, go, oh, I've got to close the curtains. That was in no way a sarcastic comment. Like, no. like summer holidays, the sun's out. Games. Get close the curtains, make sure there's no glare, make Someday. sure there's no hint of the outside world destroying your enjoyment of playing Mario World for the seventh time. Someday the other day after the Xbox reveal, I was just one, one solitary tweet on my timeline said, stop talking about the Xbox and go outside. <laughs> it's like this person just does not fucking even remotely get it. Like, I see, that, that's amazing, because I've been, like, just before we record this, I've been on holiday up in the Western Isles for a week, so I had, like, zero internet access at all. Uh-huh. So when I came back, I was like, oh, they've revealed an Xbox, that's nice, I wonder if anybody likes it. Oh, they don't. It's pretty much all you missed, to be honest. It does look pretty rough, I have to say. Ah, we don't concern ourselves with these modern pursuits. Well, you know, they might release some old games on it. But uh, hey, that's that's something for years down the line. Totally. What, when what? we're old and grey and decrepit. Well, I'm pretty decrepit as it is. Just when we're old and grey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once, once You're a, a bit grey, maybe? Are you I, I, I'm pretty grey. Just, just when we're old, then. Yeah, because I'm, I'm also old. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe we can talk about the Xbox now. Yeah, absolutely. Shite. There we go. Who's going to be talking about the Xbox? It's going to be me, Nicole Hay, and mm. you... Barry Topping. There we go. Introductions, what, like 17 minutes into the podcast there. Um, so I, what have we been doing since last time then? Anything exciting, retro gamey happening in your world? Um, well, the most like actual retro gamey is uh, the release, the re-release, the reimagining of Sonic the Hedgehog 1 on mm. the iOS platforms, mm. uh, which I've been playing. And yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, like the game itself is still... Right, it's, it's, it's not, Sonic. It's, it's Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. It's Sonic one. the Hedgehog. So you know, it's probably not the best Sonic, but it's the most pure, the uh-huh. most sort of um, pure concept. Um, it looks lovely. It sounds great. All those sort of like old tunes are in there. They're crisp as anything. Um, if you play it on a on an iPhone five, you've got the the widescreen treatment, which uh, which all looks very nice as mm-hmm. a as an actual. Recreation of the video game, it's it's great. Even though, as default, it, um, it lets you spin dash, which I don't agree with in Sonic 1. I don't think that should be allowed. I think it should be banned. That's all, it's an option. You can turn it off. You can turn it off. That's good. And and I do, because I don't want to spin does dash it, in Sonic 1. Does it change the, the your playing experience of Sonic 1 much? It just doesn't feel right. So, as a game, still, it's it's Sonic the Hedgehog. It's the game that I fell in love aye, with. Aye. Um, See, I never, I never had a Mega Drive as a, as a child, so all my, my like all my Sonic experiences came. The first time I ever sort of had a Mega Drive was in our sixth year common room, right? Which is where I played a lot of Sonic. But uh, well, like for me, it was like my first console, not my first computer, but my first console. So, mm. like leaping from a Spectrum to that was outrageous. Just so big and colourful and sounds nice. Um, the major problem with Sonic the Hedgehog on iOS and. Like everybody knows what I'm going to say, whether they played it or not, so they can all chime in in unison. And one, two, three, it's touchscreen controls. Aye. Sonic doesn't need to be precision controlled in the way that Mario does, um, but certainly when you're tr- buzzing about at high speeds, and what, well, even when you're buzzing about at low speed, because the inertia that Sonic puts on as soon as you like sort of travel more than like three pixels to the right, uh-huh. you need to be able to sort of stop him and 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 bounce and things like that, and. Uh, just having your thumb sliding all over the screen. I, I found when I when I played it that my thumb was in fact 
progressively getting further across the screen. Yeah, and it's not not great. Like it isn't great. Um, it is easier to play on the iPhone five than like the iPad. I've played it on both of them. Uh-huh. Uh, just because you've got like that sixteen nine screen on the iPhone five, so your your controls are physically further away yeah. from what you're actually looking at. There, there, are, there are options for iOS gaming as well. Like there are a million and one sort of game pads you can get. Um, the eight bit A, I think, being the sort of cheapest one, which is just like a sort of Wii, looks like a Wii NES controller. But right. I mean, to get a controller for your iOS gaming experience, it kind of it'd be a bit of a hassle getting a gamepad out on the bus. You know what I mean? Completely undermines like you know what is meant to be convenient and good about iOS gaming. I See, like you I, know if you're I just agree. sitting there, and you got five minutes for your bus, you can quickly play a, a Sonic level. Agreed. But uh, yeah, but like so, touchscreen controls is just basically the way it has to be, really. It has to be, and there's no easy way of making it work with games that were designed for gamepads, I'm afraid. But as a quick burst of sort of going, that's right, Sonic the Hedgehog was great. It's uh, How much is it? Uh, £2. Two bucks. There you go, two bucks for a bit of Sonic the Hedgehog. It's the kind of thing, oh, if you've never played Sonic, I was going to say that, but I mean, who's not played Sonic? Who doesn't own Sonic the Hedgehog for every single console that they own? Yeah, who, who hasn't, like... You played that Sonic Mega Collection, mate. You played that? <laughs> Sonic <laughs> Jam, mate. Sonic, Sonic Jam. Jam. Sonic Jam I've played many times. Totally. Um, yeah, those Mega Collections, you, like every new console that comes out, that'll be that'll be the thing to look forward to on the Xbox One. It will be Sonic Mega Collection. Sonic Mega Collection, all those games coming out, and Comic Zone won't be on it because it never is, even totally. though it's one of the best. Mm. But yeah, um, you've been doing anything retro-y? Um, I am now the proud owner of a Sega Saturn. And how is that experience? It's been a beautiful experience so far. Like I have to say, it all stems from your night's review. Like it really sold me on the Saturn. I didn't know that it was, you know. Like, I mean, like I said again. I mean, I grew up solely with Nintendo, so my sort of Sega discovery's been retrospective. But when I sort of learned that it was supposedly like the ultimate two D home console, I was like, ah, that's my kind of. Yep. That's my kind of. Well, that's shit. something we're very much about in this uh, in this podcast. But yeah, oh, what what a great well. It's not a great machine, let's face it, but it is also a great machine. On the other hand, if you weigh it all up, it's not, and it is. There are, I mean, you hear about like people always tell you about the Saturn game library, and it's the same ten, fifteen games come up. But I've found from doing my own digging, there's a lot more there that I will play apart from just like the sort of the recommended smashes. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that only ever made it to Japan, but it's still completely playable. Stuff that's, like well, that's why it's not recommended to you because this was just before the era where, like, you know, importing Japanese games was like a, an easier, widespread thing to do. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I think it, it has a great game library. To be honest, I'm looking forward to exploring it at great depth. Maybe just a quick note on saying that the official Saturn pad is possibly the best game pad ever. It's a very nice pad. It's a very nice pad. Obviously, no analog stick on it, which is what really hurples modern game pads. Yeah, but like the the basic one just fits so snugly, and mm. it's got really satisfying buttons and a good a good all round uh, direction pad that you can use for all sorts of things. Good for fighting games, which not all uh, D pads are. It's a nice pad. It is. So I um, in other news um, at the end of summer we of course will be attending the Eurogamer Expo. Yes, that's right. Which is exciting if you want to come and play Saturn Bomberman with us and get absolutely shafted at it. Yeah, be... we're we're going to display our hubris right now and say that we will defeat all comers at the only video game that we're good at: Bonks and Higgins. Bonks and Higgins, the Titanic team up. <laughs> that's us. 
just like both standing there at the end, uh, like the only two left standing, waiting to be crushed by the weights because we don't want to kill each other because we're such good friends. Of course. I mean, this is it. If you, you go the white bomber man or the you know the black bomber man. Like the only experience they have is bomber man. But you know Bonks, he's a caveman. He's fought fucking giant dinosaurs. Higgins is, you know, successfully defeated every adventure island. Like you can't, you <laughs> that, can't mess with these characters. Yeah, that that is somebody like he'd have a thousand yard stare when you weren't like blowing things up when you were just waiting to go in. You're just like, you looking forward to the match, Higgins? And he'd just be like dead straight ahead, just like, at least I'm not on the island. At least I'm not on the island. So that's it. We are throwing down a gauntlet to. Any well, well, we can play a team game. Any, any team of two that wants to challenge us to Saturn Bomberman at Eurogamer Expo, we will make that happen. We will destroy you. We will destroy you because we're going to be practicing. We're, we've got a very strict regime ahead of us. Yeah, this is the last one more go for the rest because we're all quitting our jobs, closing the curtains, and playing Saturn Bomberman every waking oh, minute. Until pretty then. much a dream come true, to be honest. Yeah, let's face it, that actually doesn't sound too bad. So I this this month then games um, we went for a wee sort of rhythm game theme. We sure did. Um, the the musical sort of game. Um, what what are you talking about? I am talking about uh, Space Channel Five uh, for the Sega. Oh, you've Dreamcast. already mentioned that. Oh, I mentioned the Dreamcast. I, I left the I left the Space Channel Five part coyly oh, silent. Oh, you are a professional in every sense of the word. And this is the reveal: it's United Game Artists' first game. Uh, the the signature game of Tetsuya Mizuguchi's career. Good, good. And I'm going to be talking about Parappa the Rapper, the a game where you control a wee rapping dog. The, the granddaddy of the rhythm action. In genre. fact, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. You, you play a dog and he does a rap, and that's it. So. It's all in the mind. If you wanna test me, I'm sure you'll find the things I'll teach you. Sure, I'll beat you. Nevertheless, you'll get a lesson from teacher. Now, kick, kick. But how? How will we describe this game that we used to love? How? I know. I've got to believe. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about the game now, Nickel. Oh, Nickel. <laughs> what? Why? Why? Why do you do this? I just, it felt right. It felt good. It felt good doing it. Does it, does it still feel right? It feels pretty wrong to me, like. Looking at your wee face, so disappointed, so crushed. <laughs> I didn't know what was coming. I was like, "Oh, what's it going to be?" But no, nah, no, nah, it was was not not pretty. Um, so I, given that you've got to believe, um, we can now discuss Parappa the Rapper. What? Is, um, oh, Parappa the Rapper um, oh. was a. For anyone that doesn't know, I'm sure you all do. Parappa the Rapper is the progenitor of rhythm games, pretty much. It's very much. Is you know set the format for what is now the modern rhythm game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, things changed up a bit with the DS and tapping the screen and that, but very much Parappa is the the granddad of everything. Um, it was released in European territories in 1997 for the PS1. Um, it was created by Masaya Matsura um, of the developer Nana Onsha, of course, who created you know Parappa, all its spin-off, some Jammer Lamy, uh, Vib Ribbon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit of background on a. Uh, Matsura-san, um, he was responsible for the sort of 80s, this great 80s kind of Japanese prog rock, kind of J-rock band called Psy S, right. um, who are like totally ripping in a, in a sort of 80s J-rock sense. 
Crikey. I know, I know. So, he had this sort of rich musical background from like doing all that crazy stuff in the 80s, so yeah. he went on to form Nana Oncha and then was like, oh, I'm going to make a music game, so Parappa the Rapper was what came out of that. Um, the basic gameplay of Parappa the Rapper is just basically timed button presses, which you know, may seem like a very basic concept, but... It's, well, you know, they've managed to make enough games off the back of timed button presses, you know what I mean? Well, at the time, it was so, like, like it sounds so simple just to say it. You know, like, we'll tell you what buttons to press, mm. and then you press them. Um, but it's, like, you hadn't seen anything like it before, and that's before you even got onto how the game actually looks and sounds and feels. It's amazing as well that you can explain its entire gameplay dynamic in one sentence. Yeah. You know? timed button presses one one statement that, that that's it that's all there is to it and it's a, a great game for it um parappa is a dog he's a rapping dog wears a wee hat or wee frog on his hat yes he does that that is an accurate description <laughs> you're actually gonna say something you thought <laughs> no. you were gonna um the story of parappa is he, he's basically to cut a long story short he's trying to impress his would-be girlfriend sunny funny who's a talking flower um, and, he, and he gets started on this sort of this chain of events to impress her, which begins when you know this, this kind of archetypal. He's not really a jock. He's more a sort of po- posh guy in a jumper. He? Yeah, he's kind of preppy. Yeah, um, yeah. This guy Joe Chin shows up and deals with some bullies by. If you met him in real life, he'd definitely have a sweater draped around his shoulders yeah. with like the sleeves crossed he would over. Have, he would have a Windsor face. Yeah. He'd have a Prince Charles face, and he'd go to St Andrews and. Yes, yeah, oh, he'd have definitely. a World War Two haircut. Yeah, like if you made him laugh, he'd go. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this is the kind of guy Joe Chen is, and he shows up and uh, I think he beats up some bullies with a speech bubble, bunch of speech bubbles or something. It's very, very weird, Parappa the Rapper. It's so intentionally Japanese. I know for something as well. I mean, it's uh, Rodney Greenblatt is responsible for all the art style, mm-hmm. um, so it's very much not you know a Japanese guy that. You know, was responsible for the art style, but it, somehow it is ridiculously Japanese anyway. Well, do we know much about how, like the the sort of work was divided? I mean, was it like Matsura telling Greenblatt, like you know, like the story, and then him sort of trying to create a Japanese thing? Quite possibly, there is a bit where they really play Janke and Po as opposed to rock paper scissors, which is a mm. massive telltale sign that it's like this is a Japanese game. Because I remember playing that when when I was wee and being like, what the fuck is. Jenkin, like, what is that? Yeah. So I, after Joe Chen shows up and you know, kind of beats down these billies, it really impresses Sonny and Parappa's like, oh shit, man, you know, Joe Chen's stealing my bow. What am I gonna do? I know, I'll learn kung fu. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the fruits dojo where he encounters a uh, master chop chop onion, which starts him off on this great journey of. He, b- basically, in the world of Parappa the Rapper, you have to rap to do things to get to gain skills to get your driving license to sell stuff at a flea market. So yeah, it's the currency that makes the world go round. In exactly. the way that you know, cuddly cockfighting is the uh, currency that makes the world of Pokemon go round. Rapping makes Parappa the Rapper go round. Exactly. And I feel at this point we should pause and just describe um, the the Kung Fu teaching Onion and all the other great characters that are such a hallmark of this game. You have every stage, you have a mentor of sorts, your rap mentor who teaches you something and you rap along with them. The way you beat a level is by, you know, finishing it on a good rating. Um, you lose if you go below a bad rating sort of thing. Which is by pressing the buttons as accurately as possible. Exactly. In rhythm. 
um, which can, to be honest, be exploited as well. You know, in, in the case of Chop Chop Onion, he'll say kick, and then you press a button at the right, you know, beat of the bar to kick. Mm -hmm. But this can completely be exploited as well, as long as what you're playing is sort of a rhythmical division of whatever the, the tempo is. Um, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna sail through it, to be honest, which presents its own problems again, which I'll come back to later on. But so through through these different levels, you have different mentors. You have Chop Chop Onion, who teaches you kung fu. You have uh, instructor Mussolini, who's mm -hmm. a moose that teaches you how to drive. Particularly yeah. brilliant level. All right, we're here, just sitting in the car. I want you to show me if you can get far. Step on the gas. Yeah, um, Prince Flea Swallow, who's a big frog that works at a flea market, teaches you how to sell stuff. In the rain or in the snow. In the rain or in the snow. Got the got the funky flow. Got the got the funky flow. In the rain or in the snow. In the rain or in the snow. Got the got the funky flow. Got the got the funky flow. You have Cheap Cheap Chicken, who's like a, a TV chef. Yeah. That teaches you how to make seafood cake. Seafood cake, yeah. Seafood cake. Whatever you like's in the middle, fiddle. Whatever you like's in the middle, fiddle. Seafood cake comes just like the riddle. Seafood cake comes just like the riddle. With all these situations, I mean, like, this is, like, the, the discreteness of the levels is that you get given these very odd, almost arbitrary dilemmas that um, Parappa decides that he, he can only solve by rapping and believing, and mm. believing in rapping. Uh, but... It's so full of personality, so chock full of joy that it, you just sail through it. Imagine you? you could rap your way out of any bad situation. That seems to be what he does, to be honest. That'd be quite a quite a, a way to live your life. Scott Will Smith, where he is today, uh, certainly has. How how topical? How relevant? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, Will Smith is never far from the forefront of my mind. Good. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off so abruptly. There, like, yeah, good, good, Nicholas. Enough about Will fucking Smith. <laughs> So, there's a really weird, the fifth stage is this kind of weird stage where after eating this seafood cake, Parappa makes himself incredibly ill, which, you're eating a fucking seafood cake, it's going to do the damage to the guts. Yep. So, and he's like, oh, I'm definitely going to keek my breeks. So, you have this sort of strange level where there's a queue for the, a public toilet, and all your previous instructors are in the queue. I need to go, just as bad as you, what I had this morning, I don't even want to say to you, kick, punch, and you have to sort of rebattle them to get to the toilet, which again I think is a very Japanese toilet humor. Is like something for for a culture that is so famously reserved and prim. They love poop jokes. I bet as well. See if you farted on the subway. I bet no one would laugh at it. Like, <laughs> no, no, they just as long as it's in their as long as it's in their games, it's fine. But um, so then after all these levels, you have the sort of the last level where there's this MC King Kong Mushi guy who's like a sort of big kind of spider. Is he a spider or a beetle or something? Or some sort of yeah. insect. It's probably a spider. I believe. 
believe. Yeah. So he gets you up on stage and you do the whole Parappa the Rapper theme tune that I got to believe, and then you know you get the girl and so on and so forth, and you know that's it. Very much sort of six stages and you're done. But the good thing is when you replay through it, you're able to attain the cool rating. Like you, the the way the ratings work is you get a you rapping good or you rapping you know shite. Doesn't actually say shite. I but think it says bad and awful. I think it says piss and shit. <laughs> but um, I think at the end of the uh, end of the stage, the, the moose just turns to the screen and goes, "Barry, why are you doing this to me, Barry? I hate you, Barry. You rapping piss. You rapping piss. So shite. You rap in um, piss. You rap pish. So. After you, when you replay these levels, you get you rapping cool, which is when you did a particularly good job. You get you build, you build a freestyle. The level, the look of the level changes a wee bit. Like the roof flies off the dojo, all and right. you can just go fucking mental. Just start mashing all the buttons, racking up all the points. It's a beautiful thing. So and then there's like a weird kind of last level that I didn't manage to unlock this time. And um, we'll see if you can find a YouTube video of it. Stick it up on the Tumblr, where it's a sort of weird kind of sunny. Level. Oh, I did not see that. Uh, I definitely think it exists. I might be making it up, but I remember it from my childhood. Um, well, um, I didn't play this game at the time. I did not have a PlayStation One, uh, but I've, I've watched. On, well, I tried to emulate it, uh, but uh, the emulation was so shonky, like it was completely out of sync. So you just couldn't hit the buttons in time. But I've, I've watched it on YouTube, and it's mm. great. Which is, um, I think, a real credit to the game that you can just sit and watch the whole thing on YouTube, partly because it's quite short. Uh, but, I mean, what, the fact that we got so far into this and we've not talked about how great and unique the graphics are is mind-blowing to me. Talk about those graphics. As I said, uh, Rodney Greenblatt, responsible for the art, and it's very, very stylized and it looks great as well. The characters are sort of cartoon-style, almost kind of cel-shaded, flat 2D characters. Completely 2D. Like, mm. like even... Like, like paper, like paper Mario, like if you turn to the side, then you see like a thin slice of them. They they have no, they have no depth dimension. So you have these sort of papery characters in sort of three D kind of depth backdrops, which is so primary coloured as well. So incredibly designed, like the the car that um, Joe Chin drives in the second uh, sequence, like this uh, ridiculously long stretch hot rod uh, limo. Yeah. Um, with a swimming pool in it. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Um, and the the visual style, to be honest, is a big big part of the charm. Um, obviously, with a game that has such a simple concept, you have to have good visuals and you have to have good music. And the music is pretty much what makes the game. Mm-hmm. Like, every level, the, the, the tune's great. I mean, that's why you say you could probably sit and watch it because the music's so good that you can just sit and watch it. So affecting, so much personality. That I mean, that... Kick punch, it's all in the mind. Like has stood the test of time for ages because it is just so immediate, it's so affecting. It's an absolute hit. And um, like this game is an absolute, um, absolute pain to the concept that like if you stylize your graphics, if you have such a strong um, art style, then your 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 game will never date technologically. I completely agree. Um, like the 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 contemporary game, contemporary three D PlayStation games by and large, do not look half as nice as this. Just because they're they're striving for a realism they couldn't get, this strives to be completely of its own thing and it still looks so nice. Mm. Um, oh, oh, it's so charming. The interesting thing about it, like I said, I didn't play it at the time, but this was one of those games 
along with the likes of your your wipeout or things like that, that like I sort of looked up from a certain went, Certain's not going to be able to do that, is it? No. Boo. That's quite interesting over there. But it's it's weird. So what was it like playing it at the time? Did, when did you play it? Did you play it in ninety seven? Uh, I would have played it. I didn't have a PlayStation until a couple of years after it came out. So right. ninety nine, two thousand ish. I would have played it. Um, it was the first game I got for the PlayStation. Actually, I bought it with the PlayStation. Um, that and Final Fantasy Seven. So um, it was a great introduction to the system. A great introduction to rhythm games. I love rhythm games. Like I'm a massive, massive fan of rhythm games. Same as Hmm. That's one of the reasons I love a DS so much. Yeah. Um, just as a side, if you own a DS, um, you need to go out and buy all the Japanese rhythm games. Like, buy Oendan 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You can, go, you can say the full title if you want. Os Tatake Oendan! So good. Oh, so good. That's a game with personality. That is a. Oh. And the tunes! The I tunes! Know, I know. I mean, we have Parappa to thank for. The existence of all these rhythm games we have, you know, uh, Messiah Matsura, definitely. Just for one man to be like, yeah, I've got this great idea for a game. I think he would have known that he was going to create an entire genre of games off the back of. I've no idea. I mean, like, the interesting thing about, uh, like, now this is something again because I haven't really played the game. Like the the actual mechanics of the call and response look a little odd when I'm watching it and I'm seeing they don't seem to. The rhythms it's telling you hit don't seem to line up too much with the words that you're rapping. They might line up a bit more with the music, but it kind of seems a lot more based on sight, like watching the them as they fall in like the bar pattern on the top of the screen. Yeah, there are there are a few interesting kind of issues with Parappa the Rapper that relate to the gameplay mechanic. The biggest one that I can see is that you know all the rapping, all the voice acting is all in English. And this was the case for the Japanese version too. Mm. So it's you know it's one audio track for every region of the game. So imagine if you're a Japanese and you're playing it, you're listening to the rhythmic scansion of the English voices whilst reading the subtitles and trying to match, you know, Japanese syllables and Japanese scansion yeah. to rhythmic button presses. And I just like I don't really see how that would work. And to be honest. There's an episode of Game Center CX, quite a recent one, where uh, Arino plays Parappa the Rapper, uh-huh. and aye, just not happening. Right. So, I mean, the way they explain it is, is you know, for for the Japanese at the time, is that you know, the, the in, they were told to sort of ride the rhythm. That was very much the slogan that went along with Parappa in Japan was you know, ride the rhythm. Right. So basically, what that means is just make a bunch of rhythmic button presses in between wherever you have gaps. And like I was saying earlier on, you can really exploit that in Parappa. So I don't know if it translates so well to the Japanese. Um, well, that might be interesting. It's, it's not a hugely popular game, despite like like everyone having heard of it. Everyone would probably be able to recognise Parappa the Rapper. Um, it doesn't seem to have that much of a fan community behind it. Like like I said, I think last week. I think like, it's, it's, it's rhythm games tend to have a bit of a cult following, really, don't they? Rather than a adoring widespread audience I suppose um, but I mean he was he's obviously he, he appeared in fucking Sony Smash Brothers so he's obviously yeah that's because Sony enough. have got like three characters <laughs> no man it's because he's popular and everyone likes him it's nothing to do with the, the limited Sony character catalogue Croc wasn't in it why was Croc not in it <laughs> is Gex in it I don't even know I don't like, think so Gex isn't a Sony character is it, get Gex um, on the N64 in that. Crystal Realms, oh, that's right, that's true. 
Oh, got who knows? Like, let's, let's not talk about Gex because we're inevitably going to get onto Gex 3D, and then you know we'll inevitably start talking about stuff like Glover, and then we'll get onto Bubsy 3D, and it's really just all downhill from here. So we'll just yeah, let's not the, go there. That's that's a harrowing glimpse at the future of this podcast where we talked about all the games that we used to play that we liked, and then just sitting there like <laughs> talking about Bubsy at each other. Just we like, talk about games that we kind of just had to play because we had them like Croc, like. Uh, this month I'm doing Legend of the Goboys. This this month I'm doing I'm doing that Ren and Stimpy game that I boxed. Thought it would be good. It's no good. I'm doing oh. Krusty's Super Fun House. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, 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 we should totally do a, a terrible game oh. month, like yeah, just for that month where we really hate each other. But Bart's Nightmare. Oh god, that Power Rangers game. Like you barely moved. Oh, oh! Let's not even talk about them. Let's not talk about the terrible games that came out and ruined your whole life because you'd spent thirty quid on this terrible thing and you can't get a good game for ages. I won. I won a competition in the Daily Record to win this. Why is that so funny? I won a competition in the Daily it's Record. Like the only time in my life I've ever won a competition. I won a competition in the Daily Record to win win a SNES game of my choice. <laughs> and I gave them a list of about five games I wanted. Most of them were like licensed Warner Brothers games, like the Konami ones, because uh-huh. they were all great. Yeah. But like in the end, the only thing I could get out of them was Alien 3. <laughs> and I don't know if you've played Alien 3 on the SNES, but it's like it's like a terrible version of Super Metroid. Yeah, no, well, all the Alien games were absolutely terrible. There's there's only been, like, Alien vs. Predator for the Jaguar was alright until you remember that it was on the Jaguar. Mm. Uh, so that, that's what I won from the Daily Record. So that was, even though I didn't pay for it, there was something a bit that stung a bit more about that, the fact that I'd won this kind of shit game. Like, what I love about that is the fact that, like they said, have the SNES game of your choice, knowing full well they've got, like, ten copies of Mario All-Stars, and they're just like, what, he wants a different game? But What? What did you have to do when Alien 3? Can't even remember. I wanted the Roadrunner game. I wanted the Roadrunner game so bad. I don't even remember that one. I remember like Tiny Toons and stuff like that. They were good. Mm. Why we're off topic. Totally. So, uh, Parappa the Rapper, what's it like playing it now? Um, there's a big issue with Parappa the Rapper playing it now on uh, HDTVs. Um, because of the latency of modern TVs. Um I've got a wee, there's a great article on Edge, which I'll link to, which is written by a previous Nano and Shah employee, mm-hmm. talking about the PSP port of Parappa the Rapper and, and the issues with playing it now. Um, so I'll quote a bit from that, just if you think I'm reading this off the top. I, d- I don't want to make this sound like I'm just reading it off the top of my head because I know about TVs. This is a quote from an article. Um, for a 60 FPS game, 60 milliseconds lag equates to an event happening on screen four frames after your input is detected. You know, this is the issue with modern HDTV latency, yeah. is that you have this horrible lag there which renders games like Parappa unplayable. Yeah. Um, you know, ideally any display would have less than one frame of latency, you know, under 16 milliseconds. Um, and, you know, CRT TVs of the past were, they were sort of in, innately capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. So it was never an issue. Um, but it's just a massive issue now. I mean, we've discovered since doing this there's a lot of games now that HDTVs have rendered unplayable 
Yeah. But, you know, Parappa's a big casualty. The latency issue with HDTVs isn't actually even like a technology thing. Like, they could instantly display the image in the way that CRT TVs did, but it's just because they put them through so much sort of like dynamic filtering to aye. make the picture look quote-unquote better. If, if it has an acronym, it's ruining Parappa the Rapper for you. Yeah, exactly. And chances are it's not making your TV look any better. It's making... It's just like any automated setting that like really upsets technically technologically minded geeks like us you know something that it touches on in this article I've often thought as well but never had a chance to talk about is the reason that Nintendo continue to have the touch screens and the screens that they do on their handheld consoles is because you don't get a latency issue yeah well like the Wii U gamepad has close to zero latency and you know people are like well why isn't it like you know like the iPad but I mean with iOS games because of the touch screen you're always getting latency on it you think so definitely have you ever tried to draw anything on an iPad or that? Or draw anything uh, on a smartphone? That's true. I always, well, I mean, I've not looked into it. I always thought that was a, a software issue. But uh, you may be correct. So, in fact, I mean, chances are you are. You're a very intelligent man. This is all just stuff that I researched a couple of days ago. So just because I can look it up on the internet doesn't mean I'm smart. But I bet you're looking in the right places. I am. But, you know, I mean, this is the thing. Oh, you know, the screen on the Vita is a lot nicer than the screen on the DS. And that's like, you know... There are reasons for this. so yeah, Mostly Which, so that Nintendo don't lose any money on the handheld. But, uh, <laughs> shut it. No, man, it's because they want their games to be latency-free, fuck you. That's the reason. This is why Rhythm Games came out on the DS and didn't come out on the PSP, apart from Parappa the Rapper, which is a good port, but again is unplayable because of the delay. What a terrible future we have wrought in our quest for more pixels. I know. So if, if you're going to pick up Parappa and you have a PSP, I'd probably still recommend you get that port. Unplayable is a strong word, I just like to say it. But it has a, it has this cool multiplayer thing too, the PSP version. So, you know, if you if you wanted to play it and you haven't played it and you've got a PSP, get it for PSP. Or, you know, um, like PlayStation 1 games run on PS3s, or at least, is it just the chunky PS3s that play Not PS1 run games? Not all, all PS3s. I'm, I'm sure you can eBay a, a PS1 copy of Parappa the Rapper without just too much difficulty. eBay a CRT TV at the same time as well and you'll you'll be fine. Um, or just watch it all on YouTube because it's great. Oh, by the way, you know how he's going out with a flower, mm-hmm. and when he goes to meet her at her house, he brings her a bunch of flowers. That's weird, right? That is weird. Never That's thought of like, that. All right, darling. The whole seafood cake, though, man. The whole <laughs> game's weird. Is it as weird as saying, you know, I really fancy you? Here's a bunch of your dead cousins that I murdered this morning. Seafood cake, man. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I just can't get my head in it. Like. If it's in the middle, fiddle. Aye, aye, aye. Seafood cake comes just like the riddle, I think. Like, so a lot of the lyrics make no fucking sense. No. Like. Still, beautiful game. Beautiful game. If you love rhythm games, if you even like rhythm games, you just need to play Parappa the Rapper. And I'd hope everyone that's listening has played it. But if not, it, it you can play it on a Sunday afternoon, one go, and just finish it. It's... A great wee couple of hours. Like. So that brings us nicely on to our second game of the day, which is you talking about? Space Channel 5. Channel 5. Did the guy have to come round to your house and tune it into your Dreamcast, or you? <laughs> no, but you unlocked the special um, topless darts. <laughs> but no, that was... That That's was Live Edinburgh 18. Live, man. Uh, well, yeah, Edinburgh Live. Uh, live 18. Um, <laughs> What's Live 18 like? That's what the the whole channel was called before they regionalised it. Ah, yeah, when it was just broadcast at a Canary War. This is getting cut. This is terrible. No, it isn't. I it? couldn't think of any. Ah, uh, yeah, it's introduced by the Spice Girls. There you go. That's your Channel 5 chat. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> 
Yeah, Space Channel 5 released in Japan in 1999 and other territories in 2000 for the Sega Dreamcast. The Sega Dreamcast. The first Sega console that I owned. And what a, what a console to own. Uh-huh. Oh, what a beautiful machine the Sega Dreamcast was. But we'll, we'll eulogise a bit about the Dreamcast later on because this was quite an emblematic game for it because it really fit in with the ethos of the Saturn of being quick, bright, arcade-style titles. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of them were just ports of the arcades uh, uh, model board that they had at the time. Was this an arcade game? This was not. This was an original game uh, by producer Tetsuya Mizuguchi, who um, first rose to prominence as the producer on Sega Rally, but this was the uh-huh. game where um, he really sort of stamped his signature style on a game. and Very different games. Very, very different games, but um, his later games definitely follow the Space Channel 5 lineage a bit more when he worked on games like Res, Lumines, Meteos, and uh-huh, Child of Eden. Res. Yeah, so apparently the, the development of this game was when um, he was asked to make a game that would appeal to casual girl gamers. Um in his quote on the Wikipedia page, this was the first I'd heard of casual female gamers, so I really didn't know what to do. <laughs> ah, Japan. Uh, so he personally interviewed a lot of young girls and uh, found out that they like dancing and music. Um, so this is this is really something that, that uh, took off from its spiritual predecessor in Parappa the Rapper, and mm. is a very, very similar game mechanic of call and response, press the buttons in time, to the commands on screen. Apart from it's a dancing game rather than a rapping game. Well, yeah, I mean, like, what you're doing as a player is the same, but what's happening on screen is very, very different. As it makes it's, it a very, far different game. <laughs> very, guess. very much so. Um, the setting is uh, the year 2499, mm-hmm. and Ulala is a swinging reporter and a Barbarella-influenced 60s psychedelic um, sci-fi world mm. where everything's like... Big primary colours and big round surfaces. Good. And it, oh, it looks amazing. The aesthetic of this game is just superb. Um, partly inspired, like the the main theme of the game is a is a song called Mexican Flyer, which uh, apparently just I found out in the course of my research was an original hit for Ken Woodman. He doesn't sound very Japanese. He's English. He's as English as the day is long. He's oh. one of those swinging hit cats that came out with uh, funk tunes in the uh, in oh, the sixties. So is this a sort of updated version of it then, the theme, or? Um, is it just I mean, the, well, they, they re-recorded it, but yeah. and you know, obviously, like introduced sections that could loop for ages, so that you can play video games over them. And it does have. It's interesting because it has a feel of a lot of like sort of Japanese funk music. There does seem to be like a big um, section of J-pop which is sort of devoted to this sort of like big band funk mm. bands like the Soylent Pimp Sessions for all yeah. those uh, hip cats out there who really dig on their style. Groovy. One for the beret wearers. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so this is twenty four ninety nine. Um, reporters, how much, are, it, how much it cost? Like? Yeah. <laughs> hey. um, reporters apparently are the universally young women who dance in front of camera while reporting on the news. Um, but the big news here is that um, aliens have invaded and they are controlling the minds of people. They they break into situations, they brainwash them, and force them. To dance! Oh, really? As you will have heard in the music sting that preceded this. So does does Ulala dance because of this, or does she just dance anyway? No, she dances in much like the Parappa 
mechanic ways that she aren't really explained. Yeah, like she, like the aliens dance at her. She dances back at them, and she dances so well they give up. And why breaks. isn't why isn't our news like this? Why isn't Judith Ralston <laughs> dancing at aliens? Why isn't Jackie Bird dancing at aliens? You just described some very specific fetishes that will no doubt have a huge Tumblr presence which, by the end of this. Which record. Scottish man doesn't have a Judith Ralston fetish? Let's be honest. You've got Judith Ralston dancing in front of aliens that uh, you've got very specific. Um, yeah, so at least I'm not a furry man. Come, yeah, some, come yeah, some no, slack. no, no. This is perfectly healthy in comparison. Good, good, and far more likely to actually happen in real life. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, so Ulala, like the the first stage um, is in a spaceport. Um, aliens have invaded. They're making people dance. Um, the the format of the levels there's there's four levels in total. Each of them split into about four or five different sections. Mm-hmm. Um, you get set pieces where the aliens have got like specific people captured and dancing behind them, and if you press your buttons in the right rhythm, if you make Ulala dance to the height of her abilities, that will break the the aliens' brainwashing on the on the hostages, and they'll come out to you. And okay. um, yeah, um, it's, same, same same deal as Parappa, I guess. If you do crap to a certain point, you'd lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, the the conceit behind it is that. Like this is like the live show, so there's a ratings counter of like percentage of ratings in the corner. Ah, I see. And like the better you do throughout the game, the more the ratings go up. The more, and you're you know you're obviously eventually looking for hundred percent ratings, which uh, leads to an interesting thing. Like if you start you know sort of missing rhythm and stuff like that, the percentage ratings goes down, which sort of suggests that the TV audience is twenty four ninety nine sitting there watching it, sort of like, oh, this attractive young lassie dancing in front of aliens in space. She's rubbish. I'm right. turning over. I'm going to watch the snooker instead. You dancing pesh. <laughs> Barry! Barry! Shite! Stop dancing pesh! Um, but yeah, very much like Parappa the Rapper. I mean, it's only four levels. You can play the entire game. I, th- I think you can play the entire game in about 45 minutes. Nice. Um, like a wee bite-sized game, like... But it's the aesthetic of it that takes you through so much. The music's so good. The animation is so affecting. The the stages, the people that you rescue are in, are great. Like the these individual sections within the um within the levels that I described, uh-huh. like between the the rescues, Ulala will march to her next bit. She'll strut in time with the music. You should see how I'm strutting, <laughs> listeners. This is incredible. It's quite a loud strut, I must yeah. admit. Yeah, she, so she struts the next place and like in formation behind her are the people that she's rescued all like like in complete synchronicity uh-huh. marching with her. Um, one of the first uh, people that she rescues is a space tourist who's like in his spacesuit with his big Japan flag on the front and he's got a camera because he's obviously taking photos of everything he sees because the Japanese know who they are ah, see. Uh, when very you res- self-aware I like that when you rescue him when they march march onto the next section they're in time like swinging to left and right taking photos of everything and all the people behind them in the formation are all miming taking photographs ah, of everything cool. as well um, there's uh, later sections where you have rival reporters from other channels trying to swing in and steal Ulala's ratings mm. and they've got backing bands so if you defeat them, you like um, if you do well, you like take their guitarist or their saxophone player, oh, cool. and in your next strut, you'll get like a bit of wailing guitar solo over it because you've done really well. Conversely, if you do really badly, but not badly enough to like fail the game, the music goes all out of tune and distorted and like oh, really right. broken, That's and the, cool. everyone sort of like slumps over to the side and like slumps to the next section. It's just all these little personality quirks and touches that. Really make it incredible. Yeah, that sounds pretty pretty good. Um, does, does it really does it do anything 
to break away from the format? Is there anything that does particularly originally well? Or is it... uh, I, I mean, mean, I don't think rhythm games don't have to be innovative, really, because they just have to be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's just the setting, um, like the things that you do. Like you're going through the spaceport. They have like sort of final bosses of these robots that they call mm. like they're giant things that do wave a wave after attacks to you. It's it's just the visual setting. It's the music. It's the the sheer fun of being a 60s go-go dancer TV reporter who dances at aliens to free them from brainwashing that oh, it's it's unspeakably good it like awesome. it's just such a, a great ride through it who who was it developed by it was developed by Sega um this oh, was right. is it a first party well this is the interesting thing actually um this was um in sort of late 1999 this was the first moment, like, Saturn, Dreamcast had been out for a year, and this was the first point where Sega were really showing big monetary troubles. Like, PlayStation was hammering them. Uh-huh. So they but did, they had DreamKey, man. Yeah, yeah, how could they How, how could, could you they lose fail? with DreamKey? How could you fail with a 28.8 baud modem? Choo-choo rocket online, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, what they did was, like, they had, like, the Sega software developers that were all, in, like, sort of dividing their little... Um, uh, sections that were all like um, AM ones through nine. I think they had uh-huh. for other departments. <clears throat> Only one of which had the unofficial nickname of Sonic Team, which was the the team that developed Sonic. And what Sega did to kind of save money and kind of also like if, I mean it's one of these sort of corporate things that I'll never hope to understand because I don't care enough about business and will never Aye. be a successful businessman. But they they spun off all these um, software developers into independent companies. Uh-huh. And they became what they called second-party developers. Yeah, yeah. So um, this company that was AM5, I think, I almost certainly got that wrong, uh, which was headed up by Tetsuya Mizuguchi, uh, became United Game Artists. Okay. So they were like separate companies from Sega, but they were still developing games for Sega. This was United Game Artists' uh, first game. And uh, like I say, this was Mizuguchi first really sort of realising that he had a, a real talent for putting music into games and really exploring the uh-huh. uh, relationships between graphics and, and music. Was he responsible for any of the music? Um, not personally, but he does... I mean, he's a very musical guy. I mean, similar to Matsura-san, he, um, well, he didn't come from a musical background, but he has a band called uh, Genki Rockets, uh-huh. who, uh, like, they're one of these Japanese bands that are, like, fronted by, like, a sort of digi-idol, like, somebody who isn't really who they say they are like nah. Lumi like sometimes played by actresses sometimes yeah, yeah. like animated sort of thing and it's pretty good I think you'd like it actually interesting but that's a lot more j-pop than the the music that's pretty much in all the space channel 5 space channel yeah it's interesting that sort of both these games are made by guys that were in bands like guys like us guys like like like, this is why we have such a strong feeling for them because we can just look at them go yeah know that feel bro totally totally um 
yeah, an interesting thing on the music actually, like for almost all of the game, it is this sort of um, like big band funk sort of thing. One, the second boss has this sort of like smooth, almost pet shop boysy eighties uh, electronica feel to nice, it. Nice, nice. Um, so, but yeah, that's the that's the only real sort of departure it takes. But you know, I think you'll agree that sort of fits in with the uh, mm. the whole like you know high camp aesthetic of it certainly does so what you, you said you played this on Dreamcast and I recall it was was available for PS2 it was well, ports yeah, PS2 yeah they, they, they ported it to PS2 and Game Boy Advance as well I can only imagine what the Game Boy Advance version oh, looks like okay. um, but uh, never played the PlayStation 2 version I can only imagine it's much the same as as this one sequel as well was a sequel Space Jam 5 Part 2, which came out on uh, PlayStation 2 and Dreamcast in Japan only, ah. but is now available on PlayStation Network for the criminally low sum of £3.69. Nice. Now, I'd never played this game before, um, hence I'm sort of reviewing Space Channel 5 Part 1, but uh, I, I very briefly had a shot of it, and it's amazing. It's possibly better than Space Channel 5 Part 2. Nice. just does a lot more with the concept. There's a lot of different... Uh, things going on in there even like different gameplay mechanics mm-hmm. looks lovely um they've uh, for space channel 5 part 2 on playstation network they've not updated any of the pre-render sequence so all the title screens and like the the fmvs are like four and three aspect ratio and they're quite fuzzy yeah but the actual game engine has been optimized for white widescreen and uh an hd so that looks lovely when it's working and oh, that's I, cool I'm telling you, I'm demanding. I will be upset with every one of you who has PlayStation Network who does not download it. There's the first one on PSN as well. It's not. It's, it's the not second one. There. That's an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, well, like I say, I mean, like they're they're very similar games, but from the the sample that I've had of Part Two, it seems to improve on Part One in every way. Very good. Um, but so there you go. That's the one that's available. Mm. But um, getting it. But if you've got a Dreamcast, uh, get the first one. Interestingly enough, like um, I don't know if it's this game is just more forgiving than most rhythm action games. But I was playing it on an HD TV through like a, an RF socket, and I didn't spot any latency issues. I was still able to get up, not to hundred percent because I'm not that good. But I got you know like ninety eight percent ratings. Um, just other things about like the. Well, I can't believe I've not mentioned it so far. But this is one of the. Uh, the few video games where Michael Jackson makes an appearance. Why? Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently the game was about um, 70% complete and then somehow Michael Jackson got got wind of it. And uh, we were... Right, I'm quoting from Wikipedia here. We were in the middle of production of Space Channel 5 in 98 or 99. I got a call at home from the US from my partner, the executive producer of Space Channel 5, and he said, Oh, Michael wants to be in uh, Space Channel 5. I said, Who's Michael? Who's Michael Jackson? He said... The Michael Jackson, the real Michael Jackson. There you go. But because the game was so far complete, he only appears as like one of the people that you save towards the end of the game, a space Michael. That's what his credit is. Actual MJ, there you go. Yeah, you just say, thanks, Ulala. Um, there's, there's actually a Wikipedia article on games that Michael Jackson has, Michael Jackson related games. Which is, there you go, I'll look that up if you can be arsed. That's a way to spend an afternoon. Uh, but yeah, but in Space Channel Five Part Two, he has uh, he has a much more expanded role as like the head of the the channel. So he, uh, no he appears a lot more. No way. Yeah, Did not know that. Like, yeah, he is a he's a big part of uh, the Space Channel Five franchise. What's he doing alive in twenty four ninety nine? Have we found a way to bring him back by that point? Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a brass eye episode gone horribly wrong where all <laughs> the paedophiles are back. <laughs> Can't libel the dead. <laughs> 
I don't know what you're shaking your head at. Don't speak ill of the King of Pop. <laughs> well, you know, wait, musically he was superb and he's a superb bit of flavour to this superb game. It's incredibly good fun. Um, at the time, at the time I loved it. Now I think I probably love it more. Mm. This is one of the games that I've been playing through that I appreciate more now. Um, it's that thing that I was saying about like the Dreamcast aesthetic of like quick hit arcadey games, but I find now as a as a grown up with like a full time job and less time to play games, I I appreciate a game that I can play through once in less than an hour, mm. but want to come back to it again and again to improve on my high score just to just to hear those songs and to be part of that world. It's it's superb. Good. Good. Oh, I'll tell you what's an interesting thing about this game. Um, based on uh, sort of future appearances of Ulala as a character, she is a very sort of iconic character, though um, maybe slightly underused. But um, when the game came out, uh, Lady Miss Cure from D-Light, the, the uh, 90s yep. groove funk Gro- band. Groove is in the heart. Groove, that's where it is. That's where it resides. Um Notice that there was a very striking similarity there between a their aesthetic. Big similarity there. Yeah, um, and she sued, and oh, uh, she did. Did she? She did sue. Right, her claim was that um, Sega had offered to pay her sixteen thousand dollars to license her name, image, and songs for the game, uh, though she rejected them. And obviously, they made the game with Ulala, who was very, very similar. Uh-huh. So she she sued uh, and lost, and had to pay like Sega's costs. Jings. Um, and then in 2008, her single Groove is in the Heart was licensed for use in Samba de Amigo, which appeared, appeared in a stage featuring Ulala. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's definitely someone at Sega being like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Well, it's either that or like some like new executive coming in just like dealing with Samba de Amigo. It's like, oh, she's quite similar to Lady Mascara. Wouldn't it be cute if we just put them together? It is funny. But uh, yeah, Ulala's been in other things. Her appearance changed anyway, did it not? Slightly. She wears a lot of white gear now as opposed to... Uh, yeah, well, that's just in part two. She wears white instead yeah. of orange. She appears it. in uh, Project Cross Zone as well. What's that? It's the SRPG. It's coming out for the 3DS. Yeah, you can get the download in the eShop now, but she's a support character in that. She appears and summons up some shmup characters like Opa Opa from Fantasy Zone and that. It's very exciting. Cool. She's also in, as we said, Samba de Amigo and uh, Sonic All-Stars Racing. Ah, of course she is. Of course she is. Which uh, I've not played that, but I've heard that's very good. Just watch the Mecha Gamezilla review of it. That's all you really need to do, to be honest. <laughs> that's all you really need to do with all video games these Pretty days. Much. Except for rhythm games, which are great and you should play them more. Totally. Go play some rhythm games. And on the subject of rhythm and on the subject of you know our listeners maybe not having any rhythm... And we asked you a wee question, so let's listen to some very rhythmic music and then we'll see what the chat is. So listeners, we asked you, if you could dance with any video game character, who would it be? And, and why? And, and why, and why? We wanted you to give a bit of context there. That's, that's Nicholas' thing, he loves a bit of context. I just love you doing the work for me, listeners. Of course. Of course. Um, so yeah, we got a lot of good replies, so we're going to read some of them out. Um, first of all, Chris Spann, CS87, says uh, Parappa the Rapper or Bayonetta. Both have well-demonstrated moves. I don't know if I dance with Parappa, he's a bit short and a bit flat. But you know, you'd at least have a, a fun time. I'd maybe have a freestyle rap battle with Parappa, but... There's a lot of moves going on, like uh, like 
onion guy whose name I can never remember. Chop chop. Chop chop. But you know, he's he's pulling some moves and he's constantly like looking over to sort of you know, give me some moves, Parappa. I think Bayonet is a good shout too, but I don't know. Like, I mean, that, that's Judith Ralston. That's your Judith Ralston dancing is, with oh, aliens. Oh my god, she is a bit Bayonet. I like. I don't, like there's so many. Like I just realised, like we we do have people who aren't Scottish that listen to this, so they'll be like, Judith who who, and they're going to they're going to Google image search her and they're going to understand the nation of Scotland a bit better. The Ralston, <laughs> they're going to get um, the feeling for the Ralston. That's uh, so why I think Bayonet is a good show. Maybe a bit intimidating dancing with Bayonet though. She but, does have guns on her shoes, but a lot of people are into that. I'd dance with Bayonet <laughs> when she had that big those big fucking claws. You've never, I don't know why I'm telling you this, you've never played Bayonetta. I've played the demo. Yeah, see when someone's played Bayonetta and completed it, they look, they have a look, you can see it in their eyes, and I just don't see that in your eyes, Nicole, I'm sorry. So, well, uh, you, you got another one there? Yeah, well, right after that, um, uh, power listener, mega fan, Simon Cole, the Sonic Mole, these said... Are, to be fair, I mean, these two guys, our first two responses are from our two biggest fans. Yeah, um, um, Ulala from Space Channel 5, she has funky moves, and this was before we'd told Twitter that we were doing Parappa. So that's what's got Parappa and Ulala in the first two replies. Yeah, and then... Uh, Sonic Mole, CS87, you are our biggest and our best fans. Yeah, the, be- the objectively best fans. Uh, not an objectively best fan is uh, Jim from GameWank, who... Uh, Chimes in with femship because my dancing might look acceptable in comparison. That's a wee burn on the animation there. Uh, I don't even think you can call the dancing a Mass Effect animation, really. I think they Do they actually just, dance? Uh, have you not seen it? No. I'm going to show you after this, but it is horrific. Um, Evil Ninja Phil, anyone from Buster Groove? Well, my main experience of Buster Groove is going Bob and Bob. No. <laughs> no, Buster Groove. Buster Groove. Gr- groove. But I would dance with Bob and Bob. Just like Parappa the Rapper, it'd be fun just having them skating around <laughs> your ankles, spitting bubbles at you, I suppose. <laughs> That's the thing they do. Uh, like uh, Mayor Mode Go, Guy Woodward says, uh, Ryo Hazuki, um, because every single video game's correspondence roundup ever has to have a mention of Shenmue, congratulately. <laughs> it does, it does. Uh, but he wants to dance with Ryu because it would be awkward and probably hurt me. Um, I imagine it would. You have a very interesting value system there, Guy. I want to dance with Shenmue 3. <laughs> I want to dance with sailors on top of a big pile of Shenmue 3 and then <laughs> and then life will be complete and we'll all go racing forklifts and it won't matter that it's easily not even in the top ten of games on the Dreamcast ever. Oh, Ooh. sick burn! I think you're going to meet some... Meet some backlash for that, Nicole. Yeah. Um, next one for I don't know which bit socket. I assume it's Scott. Um, he says, uh, Space Michael Jackson, assumedly the Space Michael Jackson that you were referring to from... Space Channel 5. Literally moonwalking about the place. Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't mention in the in the roundup, but like he's credited as... Um, like They've got the credits, all the voice actors and things like that. So it's Space Michael, played by Michael Jackson, brackets, Thanks! <laughs> With an exclamation mark. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Ringo Abdul Jastar... Ah, Twan Lavish, uh, who has the greatest avatar in Twitter history. That uh, I won't tell you at all, but look up at Twan Lavish. Not, uh, not safe for work. <laughs> not not safe for humans. Um, Gabby J from the Punch Out Games, because he's fit as fuck. <laughs> um, I, I mentioned like it'd be nice dancing with Gabby J as he like slavers all over your shoulder. 
you know, his slaver dripping from his moustache. But it would certainly be physical. Come on and get physical. Got into a conversation with Twan about how he's going to write some Gabby J fan fiction. Another one here from Mecha Gamesella. He says uh, Vic Viper, which which I thought was pretty good. I'd dance with Vic Viper. Um, another one here from Mecha Gamesella. He says uh, Metroid because she's so pretty. See what you did there. Totally. But you know that actually picks up on like, my big fear when we decided this was a question that we were going to ask that we were just going to get reams and reams of Lara Croft because of boobs. Well, I was thinking, I was finding I want to dance with Tomb Raider. I was finding it quite hard to pick someone like I, I was purely coming from a winching point of view because why else do people dance if not to just winch? You know what I mean? For the joy of being oh fuck off! You music. don't know anything about joy. Um, <laughs> next one. Come on, quicker! Stop being joyless and read the tweets. Um, Richie has come up with uh, Jarl Balgruf um, on the back of a quite <laughs> incredible gamer poop YouTube. It's good, it's good. Which will go on the Tumblr because you need to see that. Uh, but just, uh, I guess, just uh, search YouTube for Jarl Balgruf and, um, well, you know, you'll be able to split your life up into two eras pre Jarl and post Jarl. I'm definitely post Jarl now. Like. <laughs> We're all living in a post-jar world. Um, Ninja Kate says, I never want to dance with anyone. I want to dance against the dicks on DDR with the hashtag DDR for life, <laughs> which is a very, very competitive statement. Well, that was well, that was the thing I was going to say. You were saying that like, there's sort of like cult um, followings for rhythm action games. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so so true for Parappa and Special Channel 5, but definitely for the B-Manny arcade games like Dance Dance Revolution and Drum Mania and stuff like Aye. that. Um, Ninja Kate goes on to say um, she had to dance it'd be with Princess Peach because she doesn't think there's anything wrong with a bit of bump and grind which is fair news really just, just grab a hold of that peach huh uh, oh nickel dear 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 uh, Miley J Panda says Bayonetta because she looks like my friend Lisa who can't dance mate if you've got a friend that looks like Bayonetta that's pretty good times yeah. is her name actually Judith Ralston <laughs> is it Lisa Judith Ralston um, her or the Capra Demon he's mad with the Capra Demon is mad with I'll give you that um, Zachariah Karami Heat Phoenix says Mario and Luigi come on they dance during battles they are true pros and that's very true they are Luigi has that kind of the, the shaky feet as well he's got that dance floor momentum on the go he shakes the feet and he like when it's Mario's turn to battle Luigi's just there his his ass goes so far to the left and right when he's mm. uh, he's shaking that booty um, one from Ross Taylor, the Xbox Vision, who says, Clearly, Ulala from Space Channel 5, but she'd show me up, so I'll say Parappa. I could just throw him about if all else fails. Ross Taylor there, he got them both in one tweet. Yeah. He's defeated Chris Spann and Simon <laughs> Cole. Just by completely tunneling through our uh, our knowledge. You could roll Parappa up and use him as one of those sort of fake telescopes that you do, or um, as a bongo. Uh, Gav Logan comes out with another shout for uh, Mass Effect 1 Male Shepherd he specifies Male Shepherd though whereas Jim went for the Femme Shep uh, possibly says more about how they play the game than anything but I've got to imagine Male Shepherd must look worse than this nightmare scenario I imagine it's just a car crash to be honest yeah. uh, Cammy Toman and he says Vamp from MGS oofed the dangerous ones can sure dance and shag <laughs> sorry that was the first time I'd read that tweet it kind of took me by surprise so nice one Cammy also going from a winching perspective on the dance floor which I like I like that it's understandable it's understandable just a couple more to round up Chris not Nixon uh, says heavy from TF2 I take it that's Team Fortress, Team Fortress 2. 2 yeah would be a cracking for a wee slow dance 
maybe a cheeky cuddle afterwards, plus he might share his sandwiches, all of which adds up to the sort of relationship that I'm constantly chasing and never quite <laughs> never quite achieving. Cuddle on a sandwich. That's Cuddle on a sandwich. Need. That's all you need. What else do you want? And it only remains to you should big up save the, the winner, best for last. The winner of this month's Twitter roundup is uh, Ross Fobister at eighty seventh. He says Dalzim just to see that happen. The, what a shout. The Dalzim victory move. The Dalzim victory move of the cans clapping over the head, That's which it. is particularly resonant for me because me and Danny Eccles, who will be known to the podcasting listening community as the dirty singer at the end of Game Wank episodes, that is our go-to club move. (laughs) Just standing in front of each other, shaking our heads, clapping away. You dancing in a club is an amazing enough spectacle as is, but doing the Dalzim move. Doing the Dalzim just catching out the corner of her eyes the disgusted looks from every woman they've, in the world. Uh, they've obviously never played Street Fighter, otherwise you wouldn't be disgusted. Well, you'd think that, but when I explain to them at length who Dalzim is, they don't seem to be any more impressed. Just drunkenly slurring <laughs> in their ears. Yoga, yoga firehead. Yoga flame and all. Hey. He could be over there and punching you. Yoga, wouldn't you like that? Yoga fire. Can I? Oh, I see. Boom. Okay, moving on. Um, so... Do you know who you would dance with? Oh, I thought about it at great length. Um, Bayonetta kept coming out of my head, but I think it'd be too intimidating. It'd be too much, too much of an investment. And then I'd kind of, I'd it's been a project certainly. Who would you dance with? Uh, well, again, like there's there's a lot of dangerous territory to to tiptoe through here. But in the end, I have to say the best moves I've seen on any video game character, any video game character, is the L shaped block from Tetris. L block's got the moves. It can do a fucking flip and shit in midair. Spins rounds, right rounds, and you place <laughs> like him anywhere. Like a record, baby. And when he finally completes this move and fits in, he disappears in shame. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Which is my club experience. I can't, I'd actually dance with Captain Falcon just because you keep telling me, you know, show me your moves, and I'd be like, all right, I will, I will. <laughs> you know, you need a bit of egging on on the dance floor. So I Captain Falcon for me, I think. Pink, pink Falcon, but... Pepe, Pepe from Star Fox, do a barrel roll he, all across the floor. They'd maybe be good dancers because of their weird metal legs. So I so there we go, there we have it. Yes, yeah, so that's the disturbing view into the sexual appetites of our listenership. And exactly. It was, it was excellent. Um, so and, I mean, yes. No, sorry, I was going to make a crack about the winner being an elderly Indian bald man, but it's it's not worth it. I think we're going to wrap up now with our monthly look into excellent video game music. And I have an absolute belter this month, like, so go and make a wee cup of tea because you're probably going to need a sit down after this, I think, or a lie down even. So playing us out this month is Subterranean Cave from Dragon Slayer Legend of Heroes 2 from the CD-ROM PC Engine version of that game. Um, Legend of Heroes Dragon Slayer, made by Falcom, who are of course responsible for East games like that. Um, Legend of Xanadu, sort of big 16-bit RPG era. I have zero idea what you're talking about. RPGs, mate. So, um, like I said, I mean, this was ported to a lot of systems, pretty much every system that was out at the time, but this is a bit of music I found from the from the CD version of the PC Engine, or the Turbo Graphics 16, as you may know it. Um, it was 
this this game was released in 1982, but I have no idea when this actual song's from. I couldn't find a lot of information about it. It's from one of the Arrange Perfect Collection soundtrack albums. Okay. Um, it's done by the JDK Falcom in-house kind of band who are uh, called um, Falcom Sound Team JDK, who are, basi- who are basically like a band that play, they play live and then they record arranged versions of like music from Falcom RPGs. Is this like for the actual game soundtracks? or is this- Yeah, this appeared in the, I mean, mostly it's for just soundtrack CDs, but this appeared in the actual the CD version of the game. Um, it was composed and arranged by them as well as a sort of chiptune legend Ryo Yonemitsu, Who's responsible for you know a lot of stuff of the, of that era? Um, again, a lot of Falcom games. Um, have you played this game? I've not actually. This is a game that I've never played. Um, mm. But but the music just grabbed you. <laughs> <laughs> even even hearing this now, I was like fucking hell. But if I'd heard this when I was like of an age to be playing this game, oh my god, oh my god, just be twitching in a corner. This is a very humble, top-down, 16-bit RPG. And this subterranean cave is a piece of music from, like, a dungeon. It's not even battle music. So this is just wandering around, collecting things, combining items in your inventory to make a potion. So, so ripping. So, so ripping. Uh, so unbelievably I just can't... I'd, I'm not going to be able to say anything else more about it. I'm just going to have to let you listen to it. It has the most compressed snare drum in history as well. <laughs> well, that is certainly a treat to look forward to. So this is going to play us out... Ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourself to be shaken by the sheer power of Japanese RPGs. Uh, and that'll be it. We'll finish talking before that happens. Totally. We will, like. So, um, uh, Fluid as always. So we'll be back next month with more games that we used to love, games that we still love, and games, games that we hope you'll love too. In the meantime, please do check us out on Twitter, at Nicole Hay and... At No Stopping Epoch. Um, Visit our Tumblr at onemoregoldpodcast.tumblr.com for all your GIF and uh, JPEG needs mm-hmm. and, and uh, videos of the things that we spoke about on this podcast. Yep. And as discussed, we have thrown down the Saturn Bomberman gauntlet, so please get in touch if you wish to challenge us. That's better then. Enjoy uh, Subterranean Cave. And I will. We will see you next month. I will. I will.